Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN merch button click on that it'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey on the swag that i'm using it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear sports history network and my favorite podcaster the sports history network store shop there today when 22 men graced the record fields of yesterday fighting for one more first down one more yard gain one final score that would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to football, gridiron greats, football history. And it's memorabilia on the gridiron greats publishing and broadcasting network. In conjunction with Spook Enterprises, and we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of gridiron greats magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of gridiron greats magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history the memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We'll cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Jeff Squires. Jeff, welcome to the show this evening. Captain, great to be on the show. Great to be on the show. Love it. We had a little, we had a little technical issue there. My apologies on it. I finally got things uh, going and uh, a couple minutes behind schedule, but we're ready to go. Yeah. And we're going to no dive. Worries. Dive. We're going to dive right in and talk a bit about something I'll be doing on Wednesday. Yeah. And that is the National Sports Collectors Convention, live from the Atlantic City Convention Center (laughs) in beautiful downtown Atlantic City, New Jersey. And it's been a few years since I've been there. I'm setting up with Midwest Vintage Cards. Good friend of oh. Twitter and Greats Magazine, Josh Adams, and I will be sharing a booth. And uh, long story okay. short, I'm looking forward to going. It's going to be my first show that I'm actually setting up at in three years. It's been a long time. And long story short, I've got everything packed. I've got everything shipped there. Good. Uh, hopefully, everything, hopefully everything got delivered. And uh, I'll be checking later tonight. Make sure the newest issue, Gridiron Greats Magazine, will be there. <laughs> and and uh, we'll be selling subscriptions, back issues, so on and so forth. Joe, what's your favorite memory of the uh, National? Well, you just, you nailed half of it. Josh Adams setting up at a BSP booth with Spano and Becker, sitting on a couch, just dinners afterwards. I'm sorry to be missing. Uh, last year in Chicago was amazing. I took my son, you know, Alexander, 
obviously hung out with the you know the you know the you know VFC boys for pizza and afterwards. I mean, I just the national is you know it's about meeting friends and about having fun more than it is about the show. The first couple nationals I went to, I was scouring for cards, but now it's you know like last year I went one day and after that I was hanging out with everybody. It's uh, yeah, it's amazing, but most of my good memories revolve around hanging out at that booth, you know, with, uh, you know, Josh Adams, BST, and Gridiron Greats Football. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's fun reconnecting with people, a long-time collectors, uh-huh. dealers, friends that I've known for years, and uh, I started going back to the National, I believe it was 2008 or 2009, and then I started setting up in, two, and I, I'm sorry, I went in 2008, and then I started setting back up in 2009, uh, which was actually the first one of the first nationals I set up at. I've attended nationals in the past, but it's a, a much different story when you're on the other side of the table there yeah. and you're set up and talking to people. And I do agree with you; oh. it's, it's more yeah. people than anything else as far as going. It's a it's a lot. And of you've gotten, You've told me before. I mean, you get you, you get not trapped is the wrong word, but you get behind the booth and. You know, you're there to service customers. Uh, I'm there to bop by and check. You know, it, you know, I'm, I'm able to just bop around a little bit, I guess. So you know, there's a there's a big difference, you know. But exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, amazing. It just I'm I'm sorry to be missing, but I'm going to miss one. It's going to be Atlantic City. It's tough to get to from the West Coast. Uh, I got a and then I just, got a real strong feeling that after this one in Atlantic City, they're going to just start making it in Chicago permanently. I think that's my hmm. my gut feeling of what's going to happen because again, they seem to get a pretty good mix of dealers. Even though all the deal all the tables are sold off for this national, and there are going to be some West Coast dealers there, so it's still going to be you know an, an actual national convention. So. It's uh, it's interesting that, you know, as much as a lot of the West Coast dealers and collectors say, you know, they don't want to fly out, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but you still got a lot of people who are flying out and, and are going to check it out uh, at the same time. So it'll, it'll be a good show, I'm sure. It'll be interesting to see where the hobby's at, what's going on. Yep. Um, I, it's interesting looking at where the table, we're going to be at Booth 1904, for anybody who's going to be there and wants to check us out. And uh, we're near all the mega uh, exhibition booths, uh, so it should be pretty interesting to see the flow of people going by the table uh, to get to the booths for their free giveaways and so on and so forth. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm getting excited about it. Yeah. I will be there the full, full five days. I will be uh, yep. there Sunday also this year, and then I'm flying back on Monday morning. Right. Uh, I, I decided not to drive because it was only an hour and 15 minute flight from Myrtle beach to Atlantic city. And that's just too quick for me to, to pass up as far as I've been a 12 hour drive to get there. So, uh, wow. but again, I'm well, looking forward to I gotta, it. Uh, should be fun. I wanted, uh, wanted to chime in there. Uh, you know, uh, Robert Edward auctions, REA, uh, and, uh, you know, the president of REA, uh, you know, Brian was on the the show. Yep. What was it about a year year and change ago? Brian Dwyer. Yep. yep. Uh, yep. You know, REA used to be a once a year auction that was you know a three hundred page catalog. And then they went to twice a year, 
and recently they started doing, uh, you know, like every every other month, you know, a smaller auction, and sure. then they have a big one once a year. Well, their REA's auction popped this morning, and uh, if, if you haven't checked it out, I highly suggest going to look at it. There's uh, a, a, a Bronco, 35 Chickle Bronco Nagurski PSA 7. Uh, I'm going to have to check the certain numbers, but I think it's the one that I used to own that I, you know, got from Andy Becker, you know, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, a plethora mm-hmm. of unopened wax, 64 Philly, Cello, 69, you know, wax packs, 72, 74, 77. I mean, just all kinds of wax packs, boxes, uh, all the way up. Uh, some 35, 33 uh, Sports King, Jim Thorpe, Red Grange, both in PSA 8 up. Uh, Joe Namath, PSA 8. If this is their uh, every other month auction, this is an amazing auction. Somebody, uh, yeah. Somebody's yeah. really, yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. And I'll be uh, checking out Brian's Babooth there at the National and stopping and saying yeah. hi, along with our friends from Leland's, longtime advertisers with Gridiron Greats yep. Magazine. And now... From Love of the Game Auctions, we'll be seeing him. And on our new uh, our new auction house, uh, that's uh, Collector's Connection, who was advertised with us, Scott Russell. I'll be talking to him there also. So we're we're going to have a, a lot of people from Gridiron Greats advertising there, and we're going Good. to be there ourselves with a new issue. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, to say the least. All right, at yeah. this time, our special, special guest is here. I don't want to keep him waiting any longer because we've got a lot to cover with him tonight. I'd like to introduce my special, our special guest. He is the historian, the expert, and has one of the largest collections of Michigan Wolverines football memorabilia in the country. He was a guest on our show way back when, in September 18, 2013, and he is the author of a new book. The Ultimate Michigan Football Program and Ticket Guide. I'd like to welcome tonight to our show, Mr. Ken McGee. Ken, welcome to the show this evening. Thank you very much. Let's do a radio check here as uh, technology has advanced over the years, but sometimes it's not foolproof. How do you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I, well I, 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 uh, I'm always amazed at technology. And I normally get all this stuff prepared an hour beforehand. And whatever was going on between Block Talk Radio and my computer was nasty. So, uh, well, we, I just want to make we, sure you uh, can hear me okay right now. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Are we all we're set? Good. We're good. Outstanding. We're Thanks, good. Uh, Joe. Nice to hear your voice. Uh, Bob, nice to hear from you again. And uh, I'm pleased to be on your podcast. Thanks for coming on, Ken. Uh, I want to lead off by asking, and if you could tell our audience again, how did you become interested in football in general, and in particular, University of Michigan football? Well, little Kenny McGee was born in 1958 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> and uh, my, uh, so that starts it all right off. My mom would take me to the games when I was a little boy, and then there was a time when I was about eight or nine years old, I could just ride my bike to the stadium by myself. My mom would give me a dollar to get in, and I'd sneak into the games and give a dollar to buy a hot dog and a Coke. Oh, and, um, and, that, and then in 1969, a gentleman by the name of Bo Schembechler moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and his kids went to my elementary school. So thus began a lifelong friendship with the Schembechler family. I played uh, 
lots of sports with Jeff Schembechler, Bo's second uh, second son. He had four children. Three of them were adopted with his wife Millie, who had him before the marriage. And then uh, then it's his fourth his fourth son's name was Shemmy, and uh, Shemmy's one of my best friends. Um, and he's oh. Bo's only biological son. But uh, just known the Schembecklers over the years, and when you're born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you learn to sing the okay. Victors before you learn to sing any other song. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's good. That's good. I love that. I, 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 uh, Bob, I often t- Bob and Joe, Bob and Joe, I often tell the story too that when you're in nursery school, you learn the colors, and quite frequently, and I was one of the one of the candidates for this for quite frequently when the teacher gives you all the blocks and tells you to put the, all the blocks, like the green ones over there and the red ones over there and the white ones over there, quite frequently I would put blue and yellow together because blue and yellow always go together. So Word. with that being said, it's, um, it's the way they raise us in Ann Arbor, Michigan, so love the maize and blue. I love it. That's great. I, Adam and Sam, <laughs> like you, can are so hard to come by. And I love that. And I guess it's perhaps being born, you know, you know, in the shadow of Ann Arbor, like you said. I'm, I'm in Portland, Oregon. I'm a huge Seahawks fan uh, because they're the, you know, they're the, the sports team we have locally. But, you know, like I don't live and die by it. If, you know, if the Seahawks lose on a Sunday, you know, I don't, you know, it doesn't ruin my week, uh, you know. And I suppose if you're born in Seattle or – and you know whatever, but I think college fans have a much more fervent following than pro does. You know, for some reason. Absolutely, and I can relate to a little bit of what you're talking about. My career was I was a federal agent. I traveled all around the world. I lived in numerous places, and one of them was Portland, Oregon. I lived several years in Portland, Oregon. I was even oh, wow. in Oregon when Michigan, Michigan traveled out to Oregon uh, to, to play Oregon, and sadly, Michigan lost that football game that day. But uh, but uh, much to the happiness of uh, all my neighbors and my colleagues in the office, Oregon won. But with that being said, I, I totally agree with you. There's a completely different at, at a college game than a pro game. I love them both. I love them both. Yep. But there's nothing like going to the big house on a Saturday afternoon or a, yes. month or a Saturday night game, which is equally 100%. as incredible. I agree more. So, I mean, obviously you're born, you know, in Ann Arbor, but that- – you know, being a fan is one thing. Being a collector is another thing. How do you how do you get into collecting Michigan memorabilia, or is it just a natural segue? When I was a little boy, my brother collected Detroit Tiger baseball cards, and I decided I'd collect something too. And I just started when I was going to the Michigan football games. I'd pick up the ticket stubs, or I'd walk around the stadium after the game and pick up discarded programs. And that's how it started. Just uh, uh, pre-double digits in my age, I was probably about eight years old and just started collecting these things. And, uh, and, and some things never change. As my wife and I, when we go to the games today, we still walk around after the game. We call yeah. it getting our steps in, and we walk up and down, and we look for discarded ticket stubs. And that's what we do kind of as a fun little thing. And then afterwards, we, uh, we go out and for a nice dinner. But uh, even before the game, we, we, we've gotten so attuned to doing it together. We're riding our game one day, and Dawn stops her bike in the middle of the road. There were two tickets laying on the ground. It was against Michigan State. Somebody had dropped their tickets for the Michigan State game, and she found them on the ground. So we're always looking for tickets. That's the bottom line. Nice. 
Nice. You're, you, you mentioned your book, The Ultimate Michigan Football Program and Ticket Guide. I, I can't find it. Um, I was looking for it. There's one that's very close, Michigan Football Memorabilia Collector Guide by a guy named Brian Snyder. And I was like, man, I wonder if they've ever thumb-wrestled over who's the ultimate Michigan fan. But, how, you know, how, how do you order your book? Where do you find this? Well, well, let me stop you right there because if you found that one, you should be able to find this one because Brian and I are the co-authors on this. It's the same website. Um, I was a co-author on that one, but I was running for political office at the time we put that book out. And um, so I took my name off as the co-author. Uh, this is my basically my fourth book, if you include that collector's guide. The first two books I Got did, on uh, one was called The Game, the Michigan-Ohio State Series. And, and, and before that, I wrote with John Stevens, who also helped me on the game, uh, The Little Brown Jug the history of the Minnesota rivalry. So with that being said, here's how you find it. You go to U, like university, Mich, M-I-C-H, football.com, umichfootball.com. And both books are advertised on that website, and there should be some sample pages and other things of that nature. And this is a collaborative effort between Brian Schneider and myself, uh, this, this book, and we can get into the story on how we put that together. Would you like me to do that now? There it is. I, I see it right there. Really, really good-looking cover on that. Can it remind? It, it looks like the Michigan football memorabilia one that you that you said you co-authored with, uh, you know, but didn't uh, didn't you know left yourself off. I love the cover of this. Just a colorful splash of ticket stubs and programs. Incredible. Well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We wanted the collage effect to give the viewer um, a good heads up on what they were going to be looking at. And and uh, this book looks similar in nature to the collector's guide, but we've got a different color binding. This color binding is yellow, and the other one was blue. And this one is also over 130 pages more. So this is a hardcover book, just like the other one, and it's 680 full-color pages. It's got 2,500 photographs of every Michigan football game program and ticket that are known to exist, as well as summaries for every single game Michigan has ever played. So you open up to any given page. Normally there's a total of four pages or four pictures, and that's of a program and a ticket for one game and, and then a program and a ticket for another with the synopsis of both games. And in some pages, we've got some additional, um, we've got some additional ticket stubs and and different nuances that we show the viewers. But there's also some other things like the history of the locations where Michigan has played, and some things such as how how history, American history, and football parallels itself through the cover of programs and the artwork on programs. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But we call it the ultimate football program and ticket guide, and I was asked by somebody what I really meant by the ultimate, because the ultimate means the best, and I will say this, and I hope this is not a bold statement, but I believe that this is one of the most unique books ever written in the history of all sports, not just football, not just college football, but all sports to include hockey, basketball, football, baseball, the Olympics, you name it, go down the list. And the reason is because it's a lifetime of work 
And yeah. not only is it a lifetime of work, but it's a collaborative effort. Bo Schembechler used to have a phrase called the team, the team, the team. And hmm. this was definitely a team effort. There was uh, myself and Brian put it together. When we put the collector's guide together, I said, I don't want football programs and tickets in book number one because that's going to be book number two because I've been talking about doing that book for over 30 years. As demonstrated by this book, I'm very proud to say, what has an introductory letter by President Gerald Ford. And he died in oh. 2006, and he wrote the letter in the late 90s. So that tells you how long I've been working on it. I was a federal agent yeah. working overseas, and uh, I was put in touch with President Ford uh, through a Secret Service detail. I communicated with him about my idea. And he, and he gladly offered, completed a letter of introduction for my book. But I, I go on back to what I was saying. It's the most unique and different book ever written in the history of sports because there's no way you're going to be able to put this all together for another school like we did. Well, no one's ever done it. They could do it now. We've, we've given the model. But um, it also includes over 50 contributors where I've gotten together with collectors over the years and I've utilized about 90% of my collection is this book, 80 to 90%. But then I go to historical libraries. I've been to Minnesota to their library. I've been to the University of Michigan Bentley Historical Library. And we put all the collectors together and we got in touch with them. So if there was a complete ticket we were missing, for example, if I needed a 1969 Michigan Vanderbilt ticket, Bo's first game, and I had a stub, I knew somebody who might have a complete ticket. So whenever we could get a complete ticket, we would put that yeah. in a book in the color photographs. So I'm extremely excited about its release. The publishers have promised it's going to be with us on August 12th. I'm going to add one other thing about the team, the team, the team, and that is all the synopsises were written by two individuals. And the two individuals, one's name is Bob Rozick, and he lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the other's name is Jim Parker, and he lives in Tumwater, Washington. But he's originally from Ann Arbor. And um, they both, as a hobby, over the course of their lifetime, wrote synopsises on every Michigan football game. So I mm. chatted with both of them, and they both gave me their files, and we allowed us to merge the two files oh, wow. together and create a synopsis of what both of them did, and we put it together. And uh, we've read it over a thousand times, and hopefully we've gotten all the typos and everything else out, but <laughs> we have two individuals, and those two gentlemen don't even know each other. They've never even met each other, never even spoke, but they're both great guys and good friends of mine. Huh. Looking wow. at the page layout. If you dig down, oh, I'm sorry about. It. If you dig down on the web, you know, the page layouts that you have, really, really easy to follow format by date, by game, a picture of the program, picture of the ticket. Really incredible, just a, a really good, easy, easy to follow layout. I like that. So, so you can see from what I've said why I feel I could say with with uh, without hesitation. I think it's one of the most unique written in the history of sports yeah uh just different i don't know of any other book yeah. like this um there are other great books don't the get big, me wrong you know, the, and better books for that later i'm just saying 
most when unique. You're trying to, when, you, when you're trying to put a book together of that nature, for and I've been contacted by several people. They were they were wanted to do a similar project with the Packers, and I always said, you know, you got to have access to all the different things you want to put in the guide. And I said, that's the tough part. I said, everybody's collection may have a certain run, you know, 60s, 70s, 1920s, or whatever. What you've done is basically, and this is the best part about the book, in my opinion, you got the context necessary to do it from start to finish. And that, that's what's the most important part of the project. And I, I give you a lot of credit for that because, again, you've got the context and you have you have the the background in it to, to find the people who had the information, had the had the uh, the stubs, the program, so on and so forth. And uh, just it's an amazing it's a, it's truly an amazing book. I mean, uh, we you know, pieced anybody, together. We thinking anybody who's thinking go about ahead, this, Bob. like you said, you know, there's there's a lot of work, but you also have to have the information available, and I think that's the biggest. The biggest problem with a lot of people doing something like this, years ago I got contacted by a couple of Yale fans wanting to do a similar book. And I said, yeah, I, I had at that time a, a pretty strong collection of ticket stuff. But I said, there's no way you're going to find every ticket stuff because even Yale didn't keep it back then. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it, it's incredible, really incredible. Yeah, and we – and, and we've done a couple additional things. We realize that we're never going to find everything. But in the book, right. for example, if you if you go back to say in um, um, 1904, uh, say Michigan Case game, or the 1905 Ohio Northern game, if we didn't have the ticket stub for that game, we would put an empty box there with the note inside it, no ticket stub is going to exist for this game. Because the idea is we want people to sit there and say, like, oh, Grandpa's got a photo scrapbook uh, that he saved. Let me go look at that. Oh, my gosh, we found that. So it's, it's the idea, too. It's a great reference material, and it lets people know what exists and what doesn't exist or what hasn't been located yet. And uh, that's, the way, that's the way we look at it. That's All right, really so I'm, curi- I'm, curi- I'm curious, Ken, off script a little. How many pieces are you actually missing of stubs and programs? There can't be that many, though. I, I, uh, in my own collection or for the book? And the answer no, 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 to the, the book, the both, book. Yeah. The, the, I don't have an answer to that question uh, because right, right. Michigan started football in 1879. I have the fifth game program ever played, and that was Michigan at right. Yale in 1881. So right. there's okay. there's a few. That's the fifth game, and then the next game program that exists wasn't until 1891. So there's 10 years of programs right there that we don't have, okay. and the museum doesn't right. have. Nobody has, and and who knows if they exist? Who knows if they did exist? I don't know, but. Um, Football was in its infancy at that time. Yale had a much better grasp on it. They were in their, what, 12th year at that time, Um, something of that nature. I don't know, Uh, maybe a little less than that. But um, my point is we don't have an exact number on that. I've never been asked that question. But I I can easily say much easier how many ticket subs were missing, say, from 1927 to the present when the big house was built. And um, yep. and the answer to that question is one. 
one is missing, and that's uh, the 1943 Michigan at Camp Grant game. Michigan played at one of the the war war, uh, teams at Camp Grant, 1943. I have the program. The program is just a few pages, and it's a mimeographed piece of paper, and there's three of those known to exist. But um, so in answer to your question, I know you went off script a little bit, but it's a great question, and maybe one day – one of our listeners will go through this book with a checklist because I've gone through it enough right now. I'm going to let somebody else do it for a while. <laughs> so <laughs> what's next, sir? <laughs> Amazing. Bob? Hey, do you have any, do you have any new uh, collecting stories to share with our audience? I remember a couple from way back when. What, what, what's transpired over the past 10 years, if anything? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure which ones we talked about back then, but I love the story about my 1898 Michigan football ticket stub where they played against Chicago. And, uh, in, and the interesting thing about that ticket stub is I got contacted by a gentleman on the West Coast. It was when I was living in Oregon. And uh, I got contacted by a person on the West Coast, and they had said, I've got this ticket stub. And I said, I'm on it. So I ended up purchasing from the ticket, and I thought I had the holy grail of tickets. That was the first game that Michigan had defeated Chicago, and 12,000 people attended that game on Thanksgiving Day. And after the game, because Michigan defeated that team from the West, because Chicago was considered a Western team because all the other dynasty teams were on the East Coast, that a gentleman by the name of Louis Elbell wrote a song that later on became known as the victors, um, one of America's greatest fight songs ever written. So I got that ticket stub, and I was so ecstatic about it, and I said, I'll never see another one. Six months later, I get a call, and an individual says, I got a ticket stub from the 1898 Chicago-Michigan game. Do you want to buy it? And I'm, like, thinking to myself, this has got to be a Xerox copy or something. Sure enough, I ended up getting another one from another dealer, and it turned out that both tickets were were side by side, seat by seat. <laughs> and my, my, theory, my theory is somebody had a scrapbook, divided it up, sold it to two different dealers, and both dealers got hold of me because I was pretty well, I'm very well known in the hobby when it comes to Michigan collectibles. So I love I that love story. Seat uh, mates, I, I love call the, that. I, I, I love those tickets. I, I, yeah, that's awesome. Well, and the neat thing about that ticket stuff, too, is, like, it's it's very ornate. It's a beautiful ticket. And not only is it ornate and beautiful, but it also, it was $2 to go to the game. So $2 was a lot then, you know. And um, it's just a really neat ticket stub, and, and it's just in both of them are in just pristine shape. And, of course, I love the story about picking up the 1881 Yale program, and I love the story about how I was contacted by another collector who decided that uh, he wanted to depart with his 1902 Rose Bowl program. And uh, that program we ultimately made um, because there were only four or five known to exist, and they definitely cost in the five-figure category. Uh, we made replicas of that program with a high-quality scanner and, and matched the paper back to what it was like in 1902. And uh, we sell replicas of that program uh, in a limited edition mount. And there's, it's a 40-page program, which is beautiful photographs and things of that nature. So 
Um, those are some of the collecting stories I love love to tell. And um, but it's interesting, gentlemen. I talk about finding the ticket stub from 1898. So Michigan played in the Orange Bowl this year on New Year's Eve uh, in the championship game that go into uh, uh, go into the final final game for the national championship. And and we had earlier in the season beat Ohio State, which put us in the Big Ten championship game where we beat Iowa. Well, there are no tickets for the Iowa-Michigan Nats Big Ten championship game, and there are no tickets for the Michigan-Georgia yep. national championship semifinal title, title yep. pursuit. However, what they did do is they created computerized-generated tickets for family members and family members only. And I think the theory is they don't want some kids who's playing on a football team's parents getting denied at the gate trying to find their tickets on their phone, you know. And we talk about the demise and the extension, extinction of tickets based on the fact that telephones and uh, the technology is taking over and becoming your ticket to an admission to an event. But the way I got my orange ball tickets, I sat where – I stood where the parents walked in at the will call, and I handed out my card saying, I'm doing a book on this Michigan football history. And I told them the whole story, and I gave them my card. And I said, when you're done with your ticket, if you'd like to mail me a ticket back, your ticket, I'll make sure your name gets in the book. And J.J. McCarthy, Michigan's backup quarterback, and someday will be the starter, his dad said, uh, if I mail you a few, will you make a donation to my son's charity? And I said, sure. And sure enough, about a month later, Mr. McCarthy, nice. their family's their family's tickets, and I mailed a check to JJ for the kids, which is his son's uh, nonprofit organization. So, Ken, I kind of ribbed you wow. when we were emailing about the show. I sent you the screenshot of. I'm a Red Grange collector. I'm not an Illinois fan. I'm a Red Grange fan, and that uh, that. You know that uh, you know October, you, you know uh, October eighteenth, nineteen twenty-four, Illinois, Michigan game. You know, not, not quite the same, but I mean, it's you know, I, it, you know, it's you know, Bob and I've talked about it before. It's like, you know, I collect stubs and programs. Stubs are going away. I mean, what? It's it's. I get it. It's an electronic age, but. You know, I love having momentous of the game. It's oh, the I, end of an era. I think it's tragic. I think it's tragic, the extinction of the ticket and programs. The University of Michigan didn't print programs for their home games last year. They're all on the computer now, digitally. And we yep, did yep. print them in our book for one year and explaining that the paper program is going away, is going away. And that's that. Yeah. And, yes, I did get that photograph of that beautiful ticket from 1924, uh, where Michigan went to Illinois for the dedication of their Memorial Stadium. And, uh, and you know, that, that game was significant in many, many ways besides solidifying Red Grain's legend. But I don't know if you, you know this, Joe, but it was that game. That was the first year Michigan had won the national title the year before. And Yielding yeah. Yo stepped down to become the athletic director. He was so upset that the new coach, a gentleman by the name of George Little, did not win that game, that Fielding Yost fired him and took over again as coaching. Did you know that one? No, I didn't know that. Yes, he did. <laughs> so he came back, and Michigan won the Big Ten title the next year. But 66,000 yep, people went to that game. 
Yep. They beat What's Illinois that? three to nothing. Uh, they beat Illinois three to nothing in the twenty-five game. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and and Fielding Yost is happy to say that he was the head coach at that time. But you know, it's a phenomenal game program. It's a beautiful cover orange, and and I'm, I'm assuming you have the game program. I do. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful orange program, fifty cent program, several pages, lots of neat stuff in the inside. And uh, the Michigan fans who went down there were pretty disappointed. But they definitely saw a history in what I believe at one time was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Red Grange's picture, and they called it one of the greatest performance in the history of college football, him running for five touchdowns, um, three of them or four of them in the first quarter to include the opening kickoff. Yes. So four touchdowns in the first quarter and then another one in the in the third quarter. And, uh, hey, that solidified Red Grange's legend who went on to become a three-time All-American. Yep, who will probably went on to solidify the NFL. I mean, his first game, you know, the Bears against the, you know, the New York Giants, you know, you know, Mara was, you know, weeping because of the, of the gate receipts, you know, saved the NFL, Grange. So, and it probably all starts with this game, which legitimized Red, you know, which brought attention to Red Grange, which... Uh, you know, a year, year and a half later, he goes to the NFL, and you know his popularity yeah. does. I mean, so, yeah. So I hear you. He also, got, he also got involved a little bit in the movies, I believe, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, um, did yeah some... one minute to play. One minute to play. I think I'm the only person alive who actually sat down to watch that turd. I, I, I bought a, somebody took the movie and made it into a VHS, and then moved it to a DVD, and like. Ten years ago, I bought the DVD and sat down and watched it, and my wife was like, "What is this? this is garbage? It was so bad." <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were kind of funny. Those old movies. Tom Harmon, Michigan Heisman Trophy winner, he starred in a movie right after he got out of college, and then he went on to star in, or 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 play in many other movies. He was probably a much better football player and sports announcer than he was an actor, but he was an incredible athlete and and a war hero, and you name it. You know, getting back to yep. Red Grange, too, in my collection, I have a game, a board game. It's called a real indoor football game made by Gridcraft, and it has on the cover of the, the box um, a picture of uh, University of Illinois Memorial Stadium on the date of the dedication homecoming game. Have you ever seen that? No, but there's another game. No, I have not, but there's another game that, you know, Grange is on the cards with, and I, I forget the name of it, but I, I was collecting for some reason. Okay, well, when we get a chance, I'll send you an email picture of it. Again, I, you know, I while your viewers are listening, too, um, briefly we gave the website on, on where you were looking up. I also would like the phone number out there. I'm very open with my phone number, and that is if anybody's interested more in collecting or talking football or getting an appraisal on an item when it comes to Michigan football. And, and keep in mind, all these items in this book are Michigan football games. So they're home and away programs. So this isn't just a book for Michigan football collectors. It's got almost every Michigan and Ohio State program and Minnesota programs and Iowa and Purdue and you name it. It's got it. Yeah. And, um, but my phone number is area code 503, and the telephone number is 781 3174. Again, it's 503-781-3174. 503-781-3174. And to order the book, 
you can either contact me at that number or you can also go to what we described earlier is you miss M-I-C-H football.com. You miss yes. football.com. Ken, nice to see you kept your uh, Portland, your Portland area code, your 503. You know, believe it or not, um, when you're a federal agent, you get transferred a lot. And what happened is, um, when I, I did two tours in the Pacific Northwest. And so I was living in South America in Bogota, Colombia for seven years, and I was transferred to Portland, Oregon. And I got this phone number, so I kept the phone number. And what I say, believe it or not, is the reason I collected or saved the phone number and kept it was because of collecting. Because through the course of 10 years, my assignments off and on through Oregon and, and various parts of the United States, I was always giving out area code 503-781-3174. So if I was to get a new phone number when I moved to Michigan and retired, it would have meant thousands of people that I made contact with on collecting would have not had my phone number. And so I just kept the same old number. And as the world has evolved into much more transient and, and mobile technology, it's it's not uncommon for people to be in one state and have another state oh, area code. But totally. Oh, right. 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 I always had to answer that question every now and then, like, why Oregon? You know, so. Well, it certainly was you, you, you may have kept the 503 error code, but you're 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 mispronouncing. It's Oregon. So I mean, I can I can tell you're not. You may have a 503 error code, but you're not. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny that you said that because I did mispronounce it, and when I said that, I thought to myself, I'd mispronounce that, but I wasn't going to get into it too much. But I quickly uh, learned that when I was there. It is Oregon, not Oregon. Dang it, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I'm not originally from there, but uh, I was there visiting last a uh, couple of years ago. Michigan was supposed to play Wisconsin, uh, Washington, in Seattle, and I flew out to Portland instead. We we bought all our tickets, and they canceled the game because of COVID several months before. But I still had my tickets to fly out there, so I went out there and enjoyed the Pacific Northwest, and went up to Seattle, and went over to Coos Bay, and hung out and. Yep. Went down to Columbia Gorge, you name it. So. What was it, like eight years ago, uh, Michigan State came to Austin Stadium and uh, and lost to U of O? I think that was the first game of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, season opener. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, A friend of mine asked me for the tickets, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is, big, this is a big game. Oh, absolutely it was. It absolutely it was. Um, but – but, um, you know, so when I, I, when I was living in South America, I would also, uh, right, right after Christmas, a friend of mine and I, who was another federal agent, we would jump on a cargo plane that a friend of ours owned, and we'd fly into Miami in the middle of the night, and then we'd go get a car, or rent a car, and we'd spend the next seven days in southern Florida. And we would drive, and we would go to bowl games. So one day, for example, we went to the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, which is a day game, drove drove like hell five hours to get to Miami, and we caught the Orange Bowl. So we went to several football games, and we saved all our ticket stubs, and afterwards we'd walk around and pick up ticket stubs because old habits never break. But we estimated in the seven years that we were there, we went to 24 different bowl games. Nice. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You've got a pretty extensive collection. What What are the – 
top five, six items in your collection? What, what's near and dear to your heart that, you know, that, that you love? Well, we talked about some of them. Uh, the 1902 yep. Rose Bowl program was probably my, my uh, holy grail. But believe it or not, um, I do have my priorities in order, and I was offered somebody – I very rarely sell something out of my personal collection. And um, somebody offered me uh, an offer that I couldn't refuse. And I had a daughter in college at the time going to DePaul University, a private school. And um, I sold the program, and then I'll pay for a year of her college. So that was my holy grail. But I would say we touched base on some of the others, 1881 Yale football program, the 1898 um, Michigan-Chicago ticket stub. There's also an Earl Christie Christie, um, pillowcase cover showing one of the Christie girls and a Michigan football player. It was about two feet by two feet framed on my wall. But, yes, I do have a lot. I have a collection of probably over 700 buttons, over 1,000 programs, over 1,000 tickets. I've got lots of Tom Harmon memorabilia. But Tom Harmon to me is your Red Grange, and that's the way yeah. I look at it. And um, and so um, I have hundreds of pennants, but the pennants from the early 1900s I love. Um, the Gridiron uh, Magazine did a uh, – Gridiron Greats Magazine did a special on my collection at one time and took yeah. some wonderful pictures. I have a button Great from cover. 1902. I remember that cover. It was amazing. Oh, he did a Bob did a great job of that. 1902 Rose Bowl pro uh, Rose Bowl button showing Fielding Yost picture on it dangling from a little ribbon. That's one of my favorites. And then um, there's just a lot of fun things in, in the collection. It's it's been I think ESPN, several other smaller cable TV companies, and um, you know they come and tour the um, tour the museum in the basement because it's it's right up there with the best when michigan when the university of michigan redesigned schembecker hall their football facility they wanted to have a museum with a temporary display and they contacted me and i would say about 80 percent of the museum at schembecker hall for a few years was my collection it was on loan so um so lots of fun things and when you've been doing it for almost 50 years uh or over 50 years you 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 get to know a lot of people, and, and I also have a warehouse filled with all my doubles because to buy, get one program you might want, you might have to buy a collection of 500 programs. So Lord knows that I've really, uh, I've, I've accumulated a lot of things. Unbelievable. That's all I can say. Yeah. Well, if you're truly, in the Ann Arbor area, truly. you're more than welcome to Come visit the collection in the museum, the warehouse, and if you come on a football Saturday, we'll take care of you. My wife and I are involved with an organization called the Military Veterans of the Game, and we honor a veteran at every Michigan football game where in the third quarter they're introduced on the field. And uh, before the game, I present them with a challenge coin that we created. We have a tailgate picnic for them, and I make a special card that looks like a football card but it shows a picture of them in their uniform back in their service days. And I have them sign the cards for their family members, and I put their data on the back when they served and some of the medals and awards they won. But my point is we have a wonderful tailgate picnic, and, uh, and you get a chance to meet some incredible people. I've honored um, two Medal of Honor 
uh, several POWs. One was a POW for almost 2,000 oh, days. Um, and just some of the people wow. we've met are unbelievable. Um, one year, uh, we um, honored a 104-year-old World War II vet. And then, um, and then over the course of a couple other years, we honored three different Marines. All of them turned 100 years old. And we decided to have a golf tournament where they compete against each other uh, later on that summer. So we went to a putting green, and they competed in three putting competitions. It was pretty neat. And they uh, were wonderful <laughs> people. But my, my point That's is, you know, I, I often say if it wasn't for the greatest generation, these World War II heroes, and they won't call themselves heroes, but we certainly can, because had we not, we might not be conducting this interview about American football, but we might be speaking about the game of soccer in a foreign language as opposed to what we're speaking about today. And nothing against foreign languages and nothing against soccer, but I think you catch my drift. I hear you. I hear you. Last so, question, so Ken. We're we open, we open that tailgate to you. We open the tailgate to both of you. So come to the big house. You haven't. Uh, you you It's an unbelievable experience. Unbelievable. I'm putting it up. I will be I'm, picking you up on that. Yeah, and if you I'm want to learn more about veterans list. of the game, if you want to learn more about veterans of the game, you go to veteransofthegame.org. dot org. Right. Veterans with an S of the game. dot org. But, uh, Good for you, you know, we've that. talked a lot. We've talked about a lot of different things. What else would you all, all like to know um, about the book or anything else? Last, last question, because we're almost out of time, Ken. Any advice for beginning collectors? And one more time on your book, where, where we can uh, order. Sure. Absolutely. My advice to collectors is uh, I've been fortunate that I've been able to do this for 50-some years. So I have a very yes. extensive collection of a lot of different things, from buttons to pennants to bobbleheads to ashtrays to programs to tickets, you name it. But my advice to collectors is start off with one specific focus, and that is don't go across all lines. Like if you say you want to collect baseball or I'm sorry, football memorabilia for Michigan, it can get overwhelming. Say you're going to focus on yep. bobbleheads or programs or tickets, just one, and see how that goes. And my other th- uh, advice to them is this. Buy the older stuff, always find the newer stuff. So if you're going <laughs> to spend $100 on an item, it's better to spend $100 on an item from the 1930s than $100 on 10 items from 1998 because you'll always find the 98 items. And so your collection might be a little bit smaller, but it will be much more quality because you'll always be able to find those things. So that's my advice to collectors. Um, And then in regards to how do you find the book, you go to umichfootball.org. I'm sorry, let me change that. You like university, mich, M-I-C-H, football.com, not org. You miss football.com or call me at 503-781-3174. This is a limited edition print run. We are accepting pre-orders now, and along with pre-orders, not only do you get a $10 discount, but you also get a special card that we invented that's 8x10, which has over a dozen watercolor character sketches of Michigan football uniforms dating back to the 1800s, suitable for framing, and wow. it just looks really cool. 
and he gave us permission to advertise our product and advertise his print that way. So um, when you print a book in um, when you print a book and publish a book of 680 pages all color, it's quite expensive. <laughs> so we go with uh, and we are we are self publishers. We are doing it all on our own. So that's why we're seeking as many pre-orders as possible. So when we pick up the book mid-August, we'll be able to ship them right out to the people who already purchased them. Would, would, you, would you sign my copy if I order one, Ken? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and all you got to do, if you want that $10 discount, go on to that code and put the code GOBLUE. GOBLUE. <laughs> and uh, that gives you a $10 discount. And uh, Brian, and our meeting, Brian and I will be Believe it or not, the books are being published right in my hometown of Chelsea, Michigan. That's not my hometown. It's where I live now. Good. Ann Arbor is my hometown. But um, good, good. 750 books will be coming off the press soon, and um, we're very blessed that we've got a great product going. And, and also, if you're interested, Joe, in the Collector's Guide, the other book, we've got some of those available, and there's a discount on that one as well. I like that brown yeah, jug one. That looks on. funny. We're, we're literally out of what? time. I appreciate you taking time on your schedule and talk about it. Joe, we've got a 30-second, uh, two-minute warning. Hand it off to you. What did you pick up on tonight's show? I have often wondered uh, if Michigan State had discovered Tom Brady in 1999, 1998, how they would have done. Talking with Ken makes me wonder that even more. It was 1996. Amazing. Oh, I was off. 96. I thought he... 96. 96. His first game was against UCLA. That's the first time he ever suited up as a as a um, young football player. Ah. Okay, I was off by a couple of years. Well, yeah, uh, imagine if he would have been. Of, what he would have been. We're literally out of time. Thanks for listening. Check out our website, gridiretechnology.com. If you're going to be at the National, check out our table, Magnetic. 1904. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.